Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. This week, you've been waiting for it. This week is going to be Tony and my reaction to Annual Council 2018, specifically with the events that we discussed in last week's episode about October 14 and the vote regarding compliance committees. So if you have no idea about compliance committees, this episode is going to make no sense to you until you go back and listen to the last episode. I'm not going to do a full recap necessarily because we literally spent an hour on it last week. So go back and listen to that. Um, find out what's going on. And, um, and yeah, so but before we kind of jump into that, Tony, how are you doing, man? I know you're in Arizona right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually exhausted. I've been doing a week of prayer uh, for my old academy over here at Thunderbird Adventist Academy. And so I've been helping out with uh, the Bible classes, um, doing a small Bible study with a few kids um, over lunch, and then <clears throat> doing kind of the main speaking uh, for week of prayer for the chapels in the morning. Um, and I'm just exhausted, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like running on, on not quite fumes. It's Wednesday. So I think by Friday I'll be like out, out, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like I need to sleep. Like <laughs> you're, you're a lot like me when you do week of prayers, I imagine like you don't just go and speak and then go home. No, you go speak and you show up in Bible class and you like, you yeah. like fully commit to being a part of that campus for the week. To me, I, I have found I've I've spoken. This is my third week of prayer, um, but I've spoken at camp meetings and summer camps and and for a while. Um, it's the first time I did it. I was twenty, so it's been like eight years, and almost every year I do something like this. And I have just found that the more involved you are, the more willing the kids are listen. It pays dividends down the road. Oh, absolutely. Um, you might not even be the best speaker. Like I've seen speakers who were not that good, but because they legitimately spent time, I've seen all kinds of speakers. Let's just 
I've been at summer camp for 10 years. I've done pathfinders for, a, you know, another 10, <laughs> just been involved. You know, <clears throat> I've seen good speakers, bad speakers, everything in between. And the difference between a message being received well and not oftentimes relies on how well they know the speaker, how well they care, especially when it comes to youth, especially when it comes to millennial and Gen Z youth. Um, mm. They just, they don't care unless they know you care. They really don't. Um, so to me, I just, I always, I always hang out. I always spend as much time as I can hanging out, getting to know them, talking. Um, you know, that just, that just matters to me. Well, they remember the little um, interactions more like the things yeah. that you forget. They remember forever. And, and they're much more willing to listen later on in the week when it matters. You know what I mean? Cause the first few weeks, it's really just a setup. Like it really is a setup. The first few days you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the first few days really are a setup. <laughs> the first few weeks into week of prayer. The first few weeks into month of prayer. Um, the first few days are really just a setup for the last few days. You know, even camp meeting, whatever you do, um, it's always just like you're setting up the the those last few um, sermons or the last sermon. Let's say it's only three. You know, you do a weekend. The last one you do is always you always want to end on that really strong note. And so it's just a setup anyway. I mean, they're important. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when they're done right, it's a, it's a setup. And so today was Wednesday. It was about halfway in and I felt like I really clicked. I really connected in with them. And so that was really good. Like I felt really, really good. Um, but to me, a good leadership listens and spends time listening to the, the, just the, the common people, you know what I mean? Like you have to be around them. You have to listen to them. Um, otherwise your message isn't going to be received well. Um, for the most part, for this generation anyway. No, no, absolutely. Which I think is, yeah. If you don't care about me, why am I going to care about anything you have to say? That's exactly it. You know? And they don't and see, like, they don't see you coming to speak to them for a week of prayer as you caring. They see that as the school fulfilling programming obligations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So and and I think you. <clears throat> anytime you do something as a religious institution or with a religious institution, there's a little bit of cynicism that comes with it, which is that... You, anything you do or say comes with uh, strings attached, which is you want me to get converted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it just kind of takes those strings off when they're like, oh, and I'm like, no, this is what I do. Like, this is who I am. Like, this is my life. Like, this is what I live for. And they get that. And they're like, oh, you really do care. Yeah. And so just those little things. So it's, yeah, as exhausting as it's been, it's been just super fulfilling and That's... a great distraction. This is the best <laughs> distraction I could have asked for. I wish. Because of the I absolute the chaos. And you just have a regular nine to five job. And it's yeah, been a slow a week up until tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow is preview. So I'm going to be working all day long. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I have been totally hyping up Southern over here. I literally have a list. Like I can show you the paper. For those of you listening to us, it doesn't matter, but I can show you a paper like completely filled with names of kids. So I was like, I got a hookup. My boy just moved into enrollment. So, you know, put down your contact info. And so I just handed the paper. This is half of the seniors and like every single one signed out. So I was like, sweet. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to send it yeah. to Becker. And- well, we have, I mean, we have, uh, well, it doesn't matter. It's not really relevant to this podcast, but thank you for doing that is what I will it say. It isn't, but like, um, but like I got your back is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I appreciate that. As we segue, uh, as we segue into this. So let's talk about annual council. So if you don't know, yeah. The vote to pass compliance committees um, went through and it was 185 to, no, 184 to 125 with 
four, I think four or five abstention. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, two, abs- two. Was just it two? two. Uh, yeah, yeah you're right. I'm thinking two. of a different vote. Yes. So, um, but it did pass, which means that compliance committees are a thing. Which I just want to point this irony out immediately because I think it's hilarious to actually approve the compliance committees, like the existence of them, took a simple majority, but. To adopt any recommendation they make as an official course of action from the GC supermajority, yeah. requires a supermajority of a two-thirds vote. And you best believe that none of those 125 are going to turn on each other. Like, there's no way. Unless the delegates change. Mm, I was going to say, they, they might be turn. The, the delegates Because my thing it. is, my thing is, okay, if they are smart, if they are smart, because this is what, okay, so for those of you who don't know, this is what the actual... What's going to happen? This is what's going to happen now, now that it's in. Nobody's going to get, nobody's going to lose their ordination or whatever. This is what's going to happen. At worst, if the GC says any women who are ordained need to get their ordination removed um, and, and revoked, their credentials revoked, and, um, and uh, any union who doesn't do this is going to be out, it's going to be under you know, compliance, here's what's going to happen. They, they make that recommendation. Let's say the board approves it by a supermajority. The first thing they do, which is, I think, why this bill passed, is they get a warning. Yep. Now, I understand the danger. Like, we talked about it last episode about the dangers of where this is headed, the precedent it sets. But the actual thing itself is, like, you get a warning. You get a slap on the wrist, which comes in the form of uh, the next one. Public uh, shaming. The next step public up is, is public shaming. Literally public reprimand. That's literally like every time. So that would be like every time Tony speaks on the podcast, I'm like, um, I'm like, hey, just a reminder for all the listeners. Tony has been warned and is uh, out of compliance on a policy every time he speaks. That would be yeah. public reprimand or not every time. But like at the beginning of the episode, you, you do like a disclaimer, like, OK, just yeah. so everyone knows, Tony is an idiot. Yeah, Tony, what do you have to say? Like, that's that's yep. what it would be. And it's not even every time. It's just literally at the beginning yep. of the session. So it is a slap on the wrist. I will fully admit this does not have a lot of teeth with it. And then the next time uh, that it goes on, they will lose their right to vote. And this is just um, the union president, teeth. which is yeah, what I love. Just the union just president. Just the union president. So if a conference is the issue, the union president is the one that's affected. And this is the this is this is why the GC did it the way they did it because they said we still want you to to we're not jumping unless you don't do your job. Right. Yeah. Which is so you are. But but they go, no, no, no. We just this is and this is I can understand from their arguments. I don't agree with it. And I and I could see a nefariousness to it. But I can understand from their arguments why. No, this is just so that we're going to assume you're going to do your jobs and, you know, make sure that people are in compliance. But if you don't, then we will step in if you don't do your job. The problem is number one again, as I said last time, who decides who's in compliance and who and not, and number two, when is how long? Like how long is how long? Yeah, you know, we're very vague about the actual times about it. Um, but that's the worst. So that's the worst that's going to happen is that your union president can't vote on an executive committee. Now, I absolutely one hundred percent believe that it is going to get more serious than that. But if they are smart, if they are smart they're going to go after somebody else first. They're not going to go straight after women's ordination people. 
if they're smart. I don't no, think they'll they likely, are. I they'll think likely that's go exactly over what someone. I think they'll go over. I a think they'll fiscal. go for women's ordination plus fiscal plus financial. Those are the two. Well, I think. yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. Yeah, shoot as many bullets as they can. But to me, I would go. I would leave them out, and give them more. T- you know, just hey, we're not gonna go after you to start. Take some time, think about it. Like you know, I, I that's what I would do. I would just avoid conflict. But um, and then and then. What I would do is make sure that everyone knows I'm giving them more time. And if I was really uh, Machiavellian, I guess, in my in my leadership style, I would then use that as the catalyst or the fuel or the justification for actually uh, putting an addendum with more teeth. And basically saying, all yeah. right, well, now we can revoke your credentials. Yeah. Or, or adding to, to the conference to it, right? And now conference presidents or, you know, division presidents lose their vote or whatever. And well, and that's the thing, like unions now, the big thing for union presidents is not the difficulty of taking a stand on this issue. Like they won't have a problem taking a stand on this issue. The problem is, are you willing to sacrifice your voice and vote on future issues over this issue? That's what is going to be, I think, the pivotal point for union presidents to decide is, is this the hill I want to die on and risk not being able to give my voice and vote to something else significant? Um, that might happen down the road, especially if you see something like this as the precursor to bigger authority, pow- authority and, and, yeah. and power moves. Right. Yeah. Like like that's and, and this is what I love. Like Ted Wilson actually said, he's like, this isn't some CIA FBI thing that we're doing. Don't freak out. None of that. And I'm like, if you have to say that. <laughs> like you, you've got bigger problems if you have I mean, to say I mean, that. again, he, he starts off with, well, you know, it's ethically wrong for people to, to me, just the fact that he came out and said, well, it's ethically wrong for people to, to leak, you know, documents. And I'm like, well, you tried to railroad it through last time. So yeah, they're going to leak information because you tried to, you know, you tried to be sneaky. I don't ever remember anybody leaking other GC documents before. You know yeah. what I mean? Again, it goes back to, well, then why did they feel the need to leak yeah. it now? You know what I mean? Why Why do you feel like there are holes in your ship? Why do you think you're doing that? Because they feel like you're being sneaky. If they feel like you're on the up and up, they're, you know, leaking it's no problem. Yeah. You know, revealing it to that, the public's not a problem. On that note, my favorite tweet from my tweet from my Twitter storm on Sunday. My favorite tweet was after he brought that up, I tweeted the gif of uh, there's a leak in the boat from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, that was so good. Uh, that was my favorite tweet. It did not get any likes or retweets, really, but it's I my... Did. Oh, that's right. It did, like, like com- did. by comparison, a lot of my stuff... Yeah, that's that's got, fair. Yeah, so that's, that's fair. actually one of the things I love about Annual Council is because I, I participate so heavily in it um, by Twitter, I get like 100 new Twitter followers a year off of Annual Council alone. No, like which for is reals. awesome. Which actually, okay. So while we're on that, um, there's something that I kind of want to clarify here because I've actually gotten some heat after annual council from people um, yeah. because they see the tweets that I make or the the statements I do as divisive, and they see me as controversial. Which they probably have never heard this podcast if that's the, if they're saying that now. If that's what, <laughs> by the way, I would also like to say if that's what they think. Like yeah. we, we have said much well, there's, harsher, so, but more quote unquote divisive things on here. Well, there's, there's, so there's a lot of people for good reason. And I'm not, I disagree with them on this, but I don't, but I understand exactly why they think the way they yeah, do. Respectfully. Um, respectfully. Disagree. There are a lot of people that think like, 
hey, we don't need to be like that on Twitter or social media. We don't need to talk about these things so negatively or cast a negative light on our church for the non-Adventists or, you know, for, for people on shaky ground. And, uh, you know, or we just need to duck our heads and focus on our local ministry. Here's my problem with that. Okay, two, there, there, there's a couple problems that I have with that. These are problems I have, just they're disagreements. They are not indictments against the people who think this way, because I think there's a need for those people. Strongly think there's a need for people who duck their heads down and focus on their local context. Number one, I'm absolutely sick of the not conservative, but ultra conservative, right? So, so the negatively yeah. conservatives, I would feel this way about ultra liberal as well, but the ultra conservative side kind of controlling the social media presence of Adventism um, for uh, the last five, like three to five years. The official, uh, yeah. official presence. Yes. Well, not even just the official presence, but like even, even in content that's pushed out that's Adventist tends to come from that side. And the problem is that if you duck your head down and focus on local context, the people in your local context likely will see what is the social media and online presence of the church, which means that it's still going to impact your local context one way or the other. So that's number yeah. one. So I'm sick of them controlling that, and I think we do need to balance that out. If people only saw uh, the excerpts from Ted Wilson's sermon on Sabbath about, um, about worship styles and about a, a de-emphasizing of social justice, if that's all they saw and they didn't see other Adventists speaking out in favor of diversity of culture and worship style and uh, the importance of social justice to the biblical narrative, like then that's the, then the picture of Adventism that they have is I think a very incomplete and, and, and partial one and honestly a broken one. And that's, yes, that absolutely is a judgment. I understand. So, but the other thing is I speak to a very specific group of people, <laughs> like my audience is very specific. And so the tweets that I make resonate with that, that group powerfully you are a part of that group. A lot of people are a part of that group, but like, I'm not concerned about non-Adventist opinions of Adventism so much because they're already not Adventist. So <laughs> like, or even, or, or even if you are Advent, if you're like majorly Adventist, if this isn't like, this isn't going to change you. And I go back to the, the saying, I'll, I'll kind of talk to about that for a second <clears throat> about the only groups that can't receive criticism, but I'll go back to, the reason why you left the church is because someone tweeted something. You weren't really in the church. Yeah, exactly. That's if you got a, you know, if you got a divorce because your wife tweeted something, you you weren't really in a happy, you know what I mean? Like your marriage was on shaky I mean, ground. I mean, unless, unless she like tweeted evidence that she was cheating on you and like, that was, it the doesn't, first time it doesn't matter. It. it was a tweet. It was a tweet. That's the point. Becker is what I'm saying. <laughs> No, but for reals, like, and, and are, I go back to this. You were already the, on your way out. Yeah, I agree with you. But no, but for, for reals, though, the only group that doesn't receive criticism and does not tolerate criticism are tyrannies and dictatorships. Those are the only groups that say, don't criticize us. Any other type of government, any other type of healthy leadership style not only invites criticism, but invites the, the critiquers to express themselves, mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, let's. How can we make this better? Whether or not they listen to that criticism is a completely different style. Like, that's that's a different thing. But Stalin didn't like criticism, right? You know, well, Hitler didn't. Pol Pot definitely didn't. Well, Mao didn't. I don't None think anyone likes did. criticism, but I think we no no. no but the but I mean, like they responded back with criticism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like you know, in the U.S. 
whether or not you like it, the president has always been mocked. Every single president, every single president has had, you know, criticisms and mocks, uh, mocking humor about them. That's part of, you know, we can we can say, hey, we disagree with our leadership style and and do so in a satirical and humorous way or in a a critical way. Um, that's why it's that's freedom. That's part of freedom. The only group that doesn't allow that are people with small egos and dictatorships, tyrannies, you know, because tyrannies are brought down by people thinking. Mm. And so they don't want people to think. And so they, they attack any thinkers violently um, and they attack any, any, you know, any criticism or, or disagreement is sedition. And again, I I said this last week, that's the road we're starting to head down. So when people come up and say like, well, how dare you say these things? I'm like, well, I'm saying it so that we don't, this doesn't get off the rails. Not that we're the ones standing in the gap or anything, but that it's, it's people like us who stand up and say, "Mm, this isn't right. That stand in the gap. We're not well, by far the only ones, but we are part of the group that does that. Well, and that's what I'm starting. I'm already starting to see people say, like, um, when, when someone questions a doctrine or a belief that we have, I've already started. In just in the last three days, I, can, I, I can't reference them specifically because of privacy reasons. But, like, I, I've watched it happen with my own eyes. People are starting to say, thank goodness for the compliance committees so we can nip these issues in the bud. And it's just someone honestly questioning a belief, not even not even really doubting it, not necessarily saying it was wrong, but just on the just on the journey. And a pastor said, "Really glad," because it was it was a pastor that questioned, and another pastor responded with that. And I'm like, "Come on, like that's and and honestly, on on your point about criticism, like Ted Wilson ended the annual council stream, and I think this is the most telling thing of all. He ended the annual council stream. I guess it was today that it ended." Um, by telling delegates to return home and help lower or like put out the flames, right? Put up the flames of any divisiveness and anger and, and hurt feelings and to bring a good report home, not bring an accurate report. Yeah. Not bring, bring an one. honest report, yeah. Yeah. bring a good report. Now there's a lot of good that does happen to annual council. Do not get me wrong. Yeah, the one thing. Yeah, we're talking obviously about the one big thing, but there were a lot of things that happened. Um, like I have and, massive. And most respect. of them were good. I have massive respect for David Trim and a lot of the work he does. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Have a, I have a lot of. I have a lot of respect for a lot of the guys that. Oh, uh, oh man, I cannot remember his name, but he's Staley. No, no, no. There's was yeah, Staley too. Staley too. But no, there was. I think he's a, not the secretary. No, maybe he's a secretary. Ing. Ing? I can't remember his name, but he kept making jokes. And I think he wore a, I think he wore like a plastic or a fake beard to annual council, which is hilarious to me, but that's neither here nor there. I, but there, there's a lot of good that comes out of annual council, but for Ted Wilson to actively attempt to control the message that goes back to these divisions and these territories is downright scary for me. I understand what he wants to do and he may not even mean it in an abusive or controlling manner, but malice is not. And and honestly, abuse is not determined by your intent. Like it's just not, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's, it is not determined by your intent. I know a lot of mentally ill people who do, who do not mean me any harm, but who I have had to set boundaries with because 
they are maliciously they're they're acting maliciously towards me without meaning to. Now I'm not saying that Ted Wilson is mentally ill. That's not it at all. But I am saying that I do think the way that he is is trying to kind of get a get the reins on the narrative that goes back to the divisions and the and territories is scary to me. It really is scary because I do not want information controlled at the top. And that's why I love the, the current kind of generation. I went on a Twitter rant today about um, how I think we're in the middle of a church reformation that's driven by social media, largely. I love the fact that we can get on podcasts and talk about this stuff, and we can, we can decentralize the information that comes out, giving a wider variety of perspectives and opinions on it. Like, I'm such a big fan of being able to do that. So that's, that, like, that's kind of my two cents as far as criticism is concerned and, and the concerns I have with Ted Wilson's kind of ending to the, the annual council stream. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Um... If nothing else, the optics look bad. I go back to that. That it, yeah, exactly. It looks like yeah, bad. And this is the thing that this is the thing that he needs to realize. I, you know, it was interesting because I said originally there are a lot of good things that happened. Most of it was good. I take it back. Not most. A lot of the things that were said, particularly by Elder Wilson, were not okay. <clears throat> were inappropriate. We're flat out wrong. Not because those are his personal beliefs. I don't care. I was talking to a friend about this the other day. I, I really don't care what his personal beliefs are. In the in the nicest, most Christian way possible, I he can have those beliefs. Like I care because they matter to him, but that's not going to affect my life in any significant way. But when you as the president of the church, especially <coughs> When you are trying to garner more power for the GC, the the office of the general counsel, stand up and say something that irresponsible to me, I go, that's not okay. It is not okay. It is wrong. And you need and so to me, I go I, I just want to amend that statement. That was my reaction to all of this was there's an incredible lack of of, of self awareness that came out of the annual council this year. If nothing else. That's what it told me, that our leadership is, is, is they've lost touch with the commoners. They've lost touch at least with our generation here in the NAD. Um, and honestly, I feel like with most generations, because the reality is the world is getting much smaller. Because of the Internet, because of what's happening, the world is getting much, much, much smaller. And so um, while the majority of our church might be in Africa membership-wise, I, I really feel like that's not where the future is um, because they are not the ones that are on the cutting edge. They're not the ones coming up with the new stuff. Um, they are not most of the African uh, uh, conferences are missions. You know, They are not self-sustaining. And so while they ha might have the most membership and most votes, and I'm not disrespecting them in any way, I am saying they're not the ones that are innovative. They're not the ones on the edge. They're not the ones that are going to find the next generation. They're not the ones to take, you know, Adventist World Radio to the next level. They're not the ones to, to take digital media. Um, and so because of that, I think that they have lost touch. And to me, I go, you're going to, you, they are in very much danger of losing uh, a lot of, the, the people who are out in front. Uh, that would be the NAD. 
that would be a lot of South America. Uh, that's a lot of the European divisions, um, quite a lot of the Asian divisions. So, yeah, they're 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 in a they're making decisions that to me and statements that to me tell me they have lost touch. They have lost touch, and it really is scary. At the same My, time, well, go ahead. Yeah, I think what what's also scary is we're kind of in a position of having no choice but to have Ted Wilson wear the black hat. In other words, I don't know who else in leadership I feel this way about. So when I talk about leadership in the GC, I don't know any other names to be able to, to be able to criticize because Ted Wilson is the one who wears the face of it. And I feel terrible about that. Like, and I, like if I'm just being a hundred percent honest, like I do feel terrible because I do think we unfairly scapegoat Ted Wilson in a lot of this. Um, not all of it, no. <laughs> but a lot of yeah. it. Um, and, and, and I do feel, I do feel bad about that because I want to be as fair as I, I can, but, um, yeah, I do feel bad about it. But, but the other, the other side of this in, in saying what you're in kind of yes, anding this idea that they're stay, they're too far from the, the commoners. I was actually in a Bible study last night with some post collegiates in the area and we were talking about acts four, where at the very end, it says the believers were one in heart and mind and they brought all their yeah, all they sold lands together, and homes, yeah. and, and they laid them at the apostles' feet. And the apostles would redistribute the, the money that was, that was brought to them. Yeah. Well, the reason that worked was because the people that were bringing their money brought them directly to the apostles, and the apostles were directly and intimately involved with the lives of the people yeah. that they were working they with. They knew them. Um, the, 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 exactly. They knew them. The further you got away from that... Um, which I can only think of our tithe structure where your money, you give your money to the church and then it goes to the conference and then it goes to the union. Like it goes up the chain. Right. So um, like that's for me, um, even, even in the financial realm, we have set ourselves up in a way that leadership is always going to be far from the commoner. And I think that is a valid kind of criticism of our authority structure to some extent. Um which I think the existence of conferences helps remedy that a bit and unions. Like I, I do believe like the lower tiers of it help remedy that, but ultimately like, yeah, we've created a system where our furthest leaders have no idea what's happening in our context. Yeah. And they're making policies that determine everything in our context. Our structure is over a century old. Oh yeah. Well, and this is the interesting thing when you get to later on, for instance, the Jerusalem council, well, not even. I'll back that up. The first instance that the apostles began to feel that they were kind of getting too far, they said, you know what? We're getting too far from this, so we're going to create the deacon system. We're going to find guys who are responsible, who are spiritual, who people trust, and we're going to hand them off these, this responsibility because we trust them. Mm. We're going to devote ourselves to this other job and not try to do too many things. And also so that we can stay in touch with the people in, in certain contexts, right? So theologically, they were working on this and keeping in context while um, pragmatically they had another group. And that to me is, it just, for logistics purposes, it just makes sense. And I think that to a degree the GC does that, but I think logistically they have done that, but not policy-wise. And this, again, I go back to, okay, so when policy began to not, you know, the because here's the reality. The GC for them was in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, it looked, the church looked very Jewish. The church was still mm -hmm. very Jewish. 
So the church to them looked a certain way. But the outside ones were saying, okay, now keep in mind, this is the conservatives. The conservatives saw church as a Jew, the, the Christian church as a Jewish branch, I guess, a spinoff. Um, the fulfillment of the Jewish, you know, it was a Jewish religion. It was, yeah, it was, it the, was next the next step, step of, of Judaism. Judaism. The majority of the church did not see it that way. And so they said, you know, what do we do? How do we do this? Are we going to stay Jewish or are we going to move on? And the Jerusalem Council got together and said, you know what? We're not over there. We're not in these areas. So let's just make it as simple as possible for them. And that, by the way, up until the last 10 years or so, was the attitude of the general conference. And the irony being that Neil Wilson, Ted Wilson's father, was one of the more progressive presidents that we've had Mm -hmm. and he was he was constantly changing things to allow people to to get their own context i mean for gosh sakes as a church we support polygamy we don't advocate for it but we support it because it's a cultural context when when we come to an area where one dude is married to multiple women we don't want him to abandon them so that they can still be protected so we say yeah still still get married don't marry anyone else but don't leave these women so you're telling me yeah. that's not in compliance or that's in compliance, but women's ordination isn't or, or whatever. Like sometimes you got to do things that make sense at a local level. Right. And, and to me, it's just frustrating that they don't understand these, that they're lost sight of those contexts. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, political power struggles that are going on. But at the same time, it's like, well, I, you know, to me, I can't look at that. I can't change that. All I can do is look at how can I move forward with this? How can I move forward knowing that my leadership has lost touch? And to me, that's that's yeah. just what I've been focusing on the last few days. It's just like, okay, well, what can I do now that this has happened? Well, I think, okay, so I want to clarify something just for anyone who heard the polygamy thing and, like, freaked out. Um, in some cultures, if a man would divorce any of the, you know, extra wives past the first one for lack of a better way to describe that. Right. Um, They would essentially like their lives would be ruined at that point. Like the women's lives would be ruined. They would not allow. So the idea is a culture that they cannot work or own property. They're essentially still property. So, so we, so we've made a concession for the culture to allow um, any existing marriages to continue without the addition of more. That's the idea. So it's not that we, it, like we're still against polygamy, but we uh, we've made concessions for what is necessary, right. and that like this That's is what, what I kills we me. support it. We is, don't advocate for it. Yeah, like, we're not telling people yeah, go out what, and get married to a bunch of women. But we're like, yeah. all right, well, if this is where it is, then then you know we're. But going what to kills me it. is it feels like we're trying to stop making those concessions. Like we're trying to make sure we don't have to make those concessions anymore. Yeah. And the problem with that line of thinking, as far as it, or not even the line of thinking, the problem with the application of that thinking that I have is that the the application is in, is a hundred percent arbitrary. Yeah. In other words, it's it's completely subjective to the line of the person who wants to inf- to apply it, which currently happens to be Ted Wilson. And this is, and, 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 the, and you know, the, the, the majority. Yeah. And yes. So this is now my biggest, one of my biggest issues with the compliance committees out of nowhere, the compliance committees themselves can't really do much other than make recommendations. My problem with the entire model of the compliance committees is if you are handed a, if you are handed a disciplinary action, right, you can appeal it 
Yeah. But you're appealing to the compliance committee and GC Adcom, who's the one who enacts that. So basically, that the people who give you your punishment, you're the one, you go back to them and say, no, you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like and apples it's not to apples. like you're never you going to win kinda, that. If you can, well, I mean, there might be some people who can really argue it down. But again, if they've taken the time to, to, to come up with it, I, you would like to think that they've already done their due diligence. Um, that and the vote, it would have already happened with a supermajority vote at annual council. Right, yeah. Which basically like you're, you're basically up against the entire world church to appeal whatever you want to appeal. You, you'd better make one heck of a speech. Um, this, this, is your, <laughs> this is your coffee is for closers moments. Um, yes. No, but for reals, though, and the other thing that bothers me, the other thing that bothers me when it comes to this, I just did exactly what you said not to do. The other thing which that bothers the me. Mike and talk at the same this, time. My leg was cramping. The other thing that bothers me with this, I hope you edit this out because if not, people are going to be I... like, what the heck? For our listeners <laughs> out there. Um, the other thing that really bothers me with this is the fact that Ted Wilson was asked on the floor, what happens if the GC is out of order? And he gave a literal non-answer. It was one of three non-answers he gave that night. He literally was like, well, I don't know of anybody other than this. There's nobody higher than us, other than the church maybe in session. What does that mean? See, he hadn't come. Nobody had thought, well, what if the people who are making the rules are, in fact, there's no check and balance. And you can tell he there hasn't been checking out the last you two can years. Tell. So he kind of was like, so we would have to like the, the, the executive, you know, the annual council, the adcom would have to do that. And he's like, yeah, basically. So it's like adcom would have to punish themselves. Adcom would essentially have policy. to pun- punish themselves for breaking policy. They would have to come together and say, yeah. okay, we've done a bad thing. Uh, let us give ourselves a slap on the wrist or whatever. And I'm like, does I, I felt like I was taking crazy pills. I felt like that scene from Zoolander. Like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, how, yeah. did nobody think that through? Because that was my first question. Like, okay, no, so what happens didn't. when you're the one? Who decides yeah. when you're out of compliance? I do. That's basically <laughs> it. Well, I can yeah. decide because I'm the president, right? It's that Richard Nixon moment, right? Yeah. I decide, you know, if you're the president, the, it makes it right. You can do no wrong. Yeah. It's not illegal if it's if, not if illegal the if you, does the it. president does it, and that's essentially it, right? It's, there's this there's this scene in I think it's Justice League Doom. I think that's the movie. I think it's Justice League Doom. But anyways, there's um in in the movie Justice League Doom. It's an animated DC film that came out a couple of years ago. Nerd. Um, yes, thank you. There's there's this whole scene where th- the entire premise of the movie is someone has figured out all of the Justice League's weaknesses. And they, um, they then try to kill the members of the Justice yeah, League. Yeah, that's Doom. Well, yeah, it is Doom. It's a good one. So at the end, they're all they they all Batman saves everyone basically. Batman saves himself and then saves everyone. And then they're all sitting around the table meeting, trying to figure out how they got the how they figured out these weaknesses. And Batman goes, "Oh yeah, no, someone stole them from me. Those were my plans to to." Yeah, but they were designed to incapacitate, not kill you. And everyone gets mad at him, like breach of trust. How could you? How dare you? What gives you the right? And did you ever think about it's you? Like, what's line. your? Yeah. What about if? What about if you become under mind control? And what if someone needs to stop you? And he goes, "That's why you're here." Like Batman's entire answer is, "My answer to if I get corrupt is the Justice League." Yeah, and and, and like, beyond that, I love that answers, line. Like the way he answers is like, "Do you guys not have these?" Like, 
why am I the only one who ever had like we're crazy strong like you know that and yeah that, the we're the most powerful things on like, the planet you don't like they were like how do you have these he's like you don't have these plans I love that answer because it's exactly it yeah there's always has there has to be a check and balance um yeah I agree that's just what's fair I mean that's just because here's the thing here's the thing power corrupts absolutely I thought it was absolute power corrupts no, 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 absolutely. No, no, no. Absolute power does corrupt absolutely, but power in and of itself corrupts. Any power corrupts. The more power you give the GC, this is why 1901, 1903, in case anyone knows, Ellen White was super against the GC as an organization having power. And by the way, the GC percentage-wise is smaller now than when it was when they um when they when Ellen White was like it's not it's too it's too small it's too you know we need to make it bigger or, percentage yeah. wise right because there's only like 300 yeah. people and there's 18 million members so beyond that all right and there're 21 million okay well, sure that makes it even worse argue on my side there's at least 18 million members <laughs> according to the last GC session um and this is my point this is my point Ellen White was against this, and in 1901, they enacted laws to make sure that nobody would, no small group of people would be able to have that kind of power because they knew power corrupts. Power corrupts. Mm. And this is the problem. I have met a lot of people who have met Ted Wilson as a person. They're like, he's an incredible person. You know, a, a, a close friend of mine was talking about how he met you know, somebody who, who knew him and he was like, Hey, it was just my next door neighbor. Like I was an Adventist. He's like a barber or something. And he's like, I, he just come over and started talking to me, prayed with me. And I go, that is so awesome. So how can someone who was that amazing act the way he's acting and do the things he's doing and say the things he's saying? Mm. And, and it boils down to power. He feels a responsibility that A, is not biblically on his shoulders, and B, should not be on his shoulders, and he is wielding his power and wants more power to do it. And I go, that's always how it starts. That is always how it starts. It always starts with, I want to do more. I want to help more, so give me more power. I mean, I don't want to... I am loath to make this comparison because it is a bit extreme, and I am delving into the realm of hyperbole a little bit. But I always get a little bit of Senator Palpatine vibe from Ted Wilson. Do you get that a little bit? Um, so. <laughs> or Chancellor. Really At this point, he would be Chancellor. Nope. Nope. I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to do it. It's anyways. a podcast. On my phone, I have, I, have, I have two pictures next to each other. One is a picture of Ted Wilson's headshot. Then I swipe left because it's I saved the other one first, and it's a picture of Emperor Snoke. And there is a resemblance. Supreme, Supreme Chancellor Snoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there is a resemblance, and it's kind of funny. And anyone I've shown it to has agreed. <laughs> Literally every single person. I don't tell them anything before I show them the pictures, and they go, "What in the world is going on?" Now I'm not saying he's Snoke. I'm not saying, listen, please understand, funny, it's it, it's the equivalent of like an Onion article. Please know, I just think it's funny. 
that's <laughs> I'm willing to get in trouble for that. I accept my punishment. But the reality is, for me, I always get a little bit of that Chancellor Palpatine vibe. Like, give me a little bit more power. I'm not saying he's, again, I am not making personal. I don't think he wants that type of power right now. But I know from history and from every other time that man exists, anytime you give someone power, anytime you give them a little bit of power, they're going to take more. And I would also like to add, that the actions and the rhetoric coming out of the GC has not done any more, has not done anything to quell or lessen my fears, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes, like, I the agree. The stances they're taking well, only reinforce this dum 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 kind of feel now, for me. Two, I have two points that I want to make here. Number one. A huge shout out to Ted Wilson on this, because after everything I've said about him and everything that we've talked about, I definitely do not envy the man. Oh, no. Oh, heck. I would never want to be in his shoes. And and let me be 100 percent clear here. I don't think I could do a better job. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Not even close. Like like the fact that we're still one denomination is a huge testament to the man's leadership ability in general. Well, like, okay, I, look, I would go back to the way I would do a presidency would be completely different, right? Yeah, yeah, it would you look know, differently. It would, it I, would be but, completely, like, I would not have that power. I'd be like, all right, you guys want to leave, leave. Like, we don't need you. I, like, do, that think, would be my I do think I would, I'll be fair, I do think I could handle the public speaking side a little bit better, as far as some of the things like he said. Yeah. Like, especially the way he ended the, the stream the optics, today. Like, yeah. that would be... The optics. Yeah, like the optics thing. Yeah. I think I could handle that a little bit better in general, but, like, specifically, like, the fact that he's leading and sitting in these yeah. meetings I mean, and doing the things that he's doing, like, so ultimate, like, respect to him. Please, like, please hear... I'm not speaking in hatred to the man... I just disagree with a lot of decisions and platforms he takes, but I don't dislike the man. Yeah. And I, and I'm grateful that he was willing to accept the role as a leader in the first place. I am because like, that's a big ask of anyone and the position he's in. I would not want to do it. I wouldn't want to have a podcast about me, like (laughs) negative about me. I get it. Like, Okay, so that's point number one. I want to be as fair as possible here. And I would also Um, like to just while we're, while we're adding on the positives. Yeah. There is no financial or personal uh, um, scandals, and I, you know, to yeah. me, I just go back to no one's, no one's called him personally a racist. No one has said he's favored one side or the other, other than you know, a, uh, 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 you know, like lifestyle wise, you know, he's he's he tends to lean more towards the the you know right wing conservative. But nobody's like, oh well, he only in you know he only favors Africans or he only favors Asians or he only favors whites. Like nobody said, anything. you know what I mean? Like there's you cannot fault the guy for that. And I go, that is huge, because you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's a huge that's a that's a well done on that. So I you know just yes. add to that kudos. That is really that's a hard line to walk with so many different cultures you know pulling at you and they do. And let's not let's not also take away from the fact that that doesn't mean the other leaders from the other divisions are doing a bang up job either. It's not like he's the only, like there's a lot of politics going on at that level and a lot of people pulling and pushing and, and you know what I mean? So it's a terrible job, but he's done a great job of avoiding scandal. 
And that's that is quite yep. hard to do. Yep, Again, I agree. Avoiding scandal yeah. from a personal standpoint. The things he says, I disagree with, and I think we're very offensive, yes. especially to the African American community. So I'm not dismissing them. Uh, Myron Edwards had a great, you know, yes, absolutely, great rant about that. Um, great little video post. But at the same time, again, I don't, I don't think you can fault him personally for that. Okay. So the second point I want to make, because I forgot it, and while you were talking, had to remember it. Sorry. The second point... No, 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 not your fault, my fault. The second point I want to make is this. The most tragic thing about all of this, in my opinion, is that women's ordination was used as the catalyst that's launched us into an entire authority and identity struggle. In other words, now the entire idea of women in ministry and equality for them... Yeah has become overshadowed. It's been attached to other things. And it's been attached to other things. And it it is absolutely tragic to me because man, like I look at, I was even, I was reading something in, I think the Southern tidings uh, just this past month, which is the Southern union newsletter. And they talked about a discipleship trek, discipleship camp that happened at Cahutta Springs. It was a three week long camp where high schools, high schoolers could get together and just focus on discipleship and serving the community and Bible study. And it's really cool, actually. Then they showed a picture of the students involved. And you could count the number of boys in that picture on one hand. And like you had to look for them. There, there are so many girls and there's so many powerful and amazing and respectable women that are doing amazing things with the calling that God has placed in the passions that he's placed in their hearts. And it it frustrates me and it pains me to no end. And I'm not a woman. So like, I can only imagine how much more amplified it is for them to like, I feel like we've used an entire gender as a tool to discuss an authority and power struggle. And I hate that like so much. And I never want women's place in God's calling to ministry, women's place in, in God's family to be just a stepping stone to a larger argument. Yeah. We have, and I hate that, that. Like we don't have gender. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm totally Jeez. kidding. Totally kidding. That is a yeah, complete no. joke. But like, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm I, with honestly, you on that. Like, by the way, I, I am. I think it's disgusting. I want to. I think it's absolutely it. disgusting, and I've given into that. Absolutely. Like that's that's the other half of that is because I mean just the nature of the fact that we're talking about this the way we are. Like I honestly like I apologize to the women in my life. Like right now I'm apologizing, but like I'm going to make it a point to reach out to a lot of them and say I'm sorry for any way that I have diminished your calling. Um, and, and, and brought it down to only a single argumentative point in the greater or in the, in the bigger picture of authority, right. Or the, the non sequitur of authority like that. I, I just I, hate I it. Say, I like, hate it. See, to me, see, I don't think you have to do that. You didn't do that. You didn't, no, but you there, didn't do that though. I didn't reduce it to an argument. You didn't no, reduce it to not an necessarily. argument. And you didn't, you know, this was the, this was the hill that other people decided to die on. And we had to fight there because that's where they chose to fight the battle. But I didn't choose that ground. And I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, that's my thing is like, I, I kind of almost, I wanted to feel guilty about it. And then I'm like, no, they chose to make this more than what it is. Um, you know, I, I initially, <laughs> after, wow, sorry about this, everyone. I had a milkshake and I always get coffee afterwards. Um, no, every, literally, literally every time that you come on this podcast, your throat like goes. And you just, to, to, you know what it was like, is I used to drink just water. Destroy. And I stopped it's drinking just... water. Point being, I, I, I originally after 2015, I talked to my dad and I said, well, I, I you know, I'm going to, I'm going to swear off ordination until women can get ordained too. And he goes, you know, you're making it 
more of an issue than it should be in the sense that by you refusing ordination, you're giving it power that it shouldn't have. It's just a ceremony. Yeah. It's just an act. Don't make it that big a deal. Don't give it that kind of power. Don't give them that kind of power. And and all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's exactly what I'm doing. Instead of, you know, falling on a sword and, and being a martyr, what I was doing is saying, see, it is a it does matter. It does it does matter. Instead of saying, This is the it's just a ceremony. Who cares? Oh, I can open a church now. Big whoop, right? You know, God's gonna do amazing things through these women. And that's the thing that that gives me hope going for the future. God's going to do amazing things through these women. I was telling a friend, you know, they asked they asked uh, us, a mutual friend, you know, where do we do, where do we go on from here? You know, somebody was asking them, you know, what do we do? What's the answer? What's the solution? And I go, just keep doing success. The only way that we can prove that this is the right way is by just having success and shaming them with how amazing women are. That's the only thing we can do. That's the only thing we can do until they realize that they're wrong or they die off when we take over. That's literally it. Yeah. We can't elect this. We can't elect. Well, we can't. Well, elect and this keep affirming us. the amazing women. Yeah. And like, keep affirming, keep affirming yeah. them and, and encouraging them, them and give them, for them and, positions yeah. of leadership. Give them authority. Don't be afraid to step aside and say, hey, she's in charge now. You know, that that's the type of thing that we have to do. Um, now, we've got 10 minutes left, so I want to kind of shift gears a bit and talk about um, kind of what's next? What do we, yeah. you know, what what happens moving forward? We are still going to do a greater conversation about kind of uh, the Oregon Tide letter, George Knight, that kind of thing. We'll still give some context around all of this that's been happening over the last couple yeah. months. Um, but but I, I I really wanted this episode to be a re- direct reaction. Um, well, it's still and, fresh, and so let's talk well, about well, yeah, yeah. well, people still so talking about it. So I'm going to talk about what's next from my perspective, and I've kind of already alluded to it in this episode. Um, but there's one thing that I really have come out of this motivated to do, and that is to make sure that what is going on on our church's world stage becomes accessible um, to the to a layperson wherever they may be. And by accessible, I mean this: when I was compiling all the sources for our last for last week's episode, it took me over an hour to put those sources together. And like do it in a way that was meaningful that we could talk right, about it. Yeah. it. Took me an hour to find them, to copy and, and paste the right where things. Where they were, like you knew where general. to search, and I knew exactly. I knew where to search. So like that's how inaccessible, and I understood them on reading them, right? Like, but that's how inaccessible a lot of the stuff in our in our church is. And so I am as of Monday working on a new project. It is not called anything really officially yet, but I am working on something. Um, I am motivated to make these issues accessible and to make that dialogue and the greater narrative and conversation of Adventism and our faith uh, accessible to everyone. It's like we could because unite I believe, these resources. No, we're not doing that again. No, Unite is dead. Unite is absolutely dead. It died for different reasons, but Unite will never come back. Um, never say never. Watch Unite come back. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I'm motivated. I'm I'm. And, and honestly, like I kind of, there's a part of me that wonders if God let it get to this point specifically as an answer to the prayer of God, do something. In other words, God's like, God, let it get to this point so that we would finally be compelled (laughs) to get off of our butts and go do something for real. And I I don't, and I'm not, maybe, maybe not. I don't even know what I just implied about God. I'm just, it's just kind of a thought experiment. Um, 
but I am very motivated. I've talked with a lot of other young adults and, and ministers and ministry leaders in general who are, who are motivated and there's a fire under them and in them that I have not seen before. I saw the same thing happen after San Antonio. And so I actually, there's part of me that's really excited about things that might be coming in the future for Adventism and, and what that means for our faith community and, and our family. And as far as it relates to authority, I'm going to keep advocating for the things I've advocated for. I'm going to keep being as honest as I possibly can be and keep drawing attention to the things that I think are absurd um, and keep talking about them and trying to contribute to this greater narrative that we're a part of. Um, that's really important to me. And, and I want to make this, these conversations, this faith, as much as I can, as accessible to people as possible, which is also why if you saw my Twitter yesterday, or, or I mean, yesterday is the, it was the 16th. I'm also hiring a social media director for absurdity um, to make sure that I'm being more intentional about pushing this content out and making it accessible to people. So I'm stepping up my game for, in seriousness. We're very excited for him and or her to join us. It's actually at this point, it's likely going to be a her. Based on the based on the people that have responded to me, and also which has been only hers, go on the theme of continuing to support it's, 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 Yeah, it, well, it's and it's only been hers that have responded yeah. to me. Yeah, so. what does that tell you about <laughs> right? Like that's well, and that was what I was alluding to with the Southern Tidings article. Yeah. Like girls are the ones who step up in high school. Girls served on all the leadership teams in college. I see girls stepping up in leadership in all these different ways in the business world. You know what cracks me up and. We went to Southern, and one of the things they were saying when, when I went specifically into pastoral ministry, one of the things that said to me, they go, yeah, like, we, we've, there's a, there's a huge, they didn't say need. They said we've lost, and there's a huge vacancy for uh, white male pastors, uh, meaning that the people who come through are now minorities and women. And they were kind of saying that, not in a negative sense, but more in like a, yeah, it's kind of shocking sense. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's cool. I'm, I'm, you know how long we've had only white male pastors? Like, now it's awesome that the majority is not that. And they were like, well, but the yes. majority of people in the United States are so white. And I go, so? I don't care. Like, like to me, it was awesome that they did it. I go, whoever's stepping up, let them step up still. You know, that's kind of my feeling of it. Yes. And it was like, yeah, if women are the ones to step up, let them step up. Absolutely. Because they're probably better um, at it anyway. So, Tony, next steps for you. Three days, now that we're three days removed from the vote, how are you feeling? What's next for so, you? Yeah. Um, so my, my yeah. passion is youth and young adults. That's my passion. Discipleship, getting... Youth and adults equipped, um, training them. So for me, it is to continue to reach out to members of that millennial Gen Z generation to inspire them, to affirm them, to motivate them, to encourage them. Um, basically to go to everybody I can see in every context and say, I agree with you that this is wrong. Let us stay strong. You know, John John Peckham, who's one of the professors um, that it, I really respect over at the seminary, just really amazing guy, he tweeted out Galatians 6, 9, right? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due time we will find success. And to me, I just, that's it. That's all I want to do is just convince people, hey, you know, a friend of mine tweeted or, or sent me a message the other day, you know, I, it just feels like we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and the wall's not moving. 
And I'm like, then we keep pushing. Let's keep pushing because eventually that wall is going to move. The only thing that can stop us is our own doubt and disbelief. We are going to keep pushing until that wall moves. And, you know, 29 votes, that's not long. That's not hard. We can, we can, we can change 29 votes and eventually change. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if we change 29, if we get the majority, we will eventually get a supermajority. And we will eventually get so that we can all recognize to, to an to a almost unanimous degree that this is the right way to go, that God is pushing in this area, that this is something that we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to happen. It just, it's only going to happen, it's only going to happen or not happen based on what we decide to do. And so to me, that's what's moving forward. I'm just going to keep talking to everyone I know. And that's what I recommend to, you know, any listeners hearing this. Keep talking to the people out there. Um, if our leadership is disconnected from the people, we are not. So become the leadership that you want to see. And it sounds like a cliche, but be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, really, that's what it is. Be the leadership that I want to see in the world. And so for me, that means bearing down and actually getting my classes done uh, so I can get out of the... Out of seminary. <sighs> so for me, it's going to require a lot of work. Um, um, but like to me, that's that's my future. That's me moving forward. Is be the leadership that I want to see. Um, thank you for that, Tony. I, I agree with you. There are two things I want to share as we kind of close out here. Um, one is a quote from uh, Dr. Moscala. Dr. Moscala. Giri Moscala. Moscala, thank you. Yeah, Giri Moscala, where he, he made the point in his, in his two minutes at general session, um, so he made the point um, that this is the first time in Adventist history where we are actively disciplining people for non-biblical grounds. And um, that was huge to me. That really rocked me. But then Myron Edmonds pulled out probably the, the, the most, like probably the most powerful tweet for me that expresses how I feel coming out of this, uh, which is, uh, he said it was once, it was just one kind of statement. He said, don't leave, help us tear the roof off so we can get our friend to Jesus. And he's referencing that story in the gospel of the friends who carried their, who, when Jesus was in a house, they, they, and the house was packed. The front yard was packed. They couldn't get their friend to Jesus to get healed. They climbed on top of the roof, pulled the, pulled the top off, made a hole and lowered their friend down to Jesus. And my biggest thing is do not let this be the thing that keeps you from Jesus and keeps the people that you love and our faith community from Jesus. And this is why accessibility is so important to me. Help us tear the roof off and get people to Jesus. Absolutely. That's like that that to me is everything moving forward from this and Myron I don't I don't even think he knows that this podcast exists um I I've recently kind of connected with him but Myron if you do hear this I I just want to say thank you for your leadership for your outspokenness um and for the Holy Spirit's fire in you for that um but I really wanted to kind of end on that note tonight as 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 Tony and I talked about this and Tony thank you for being someone I can talk to about this as well thank you for all of your co-hosting on this podcast and um I feel, feel a weird sense of finality at the end of this episode. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, it's been an emotional week. Yeah. But oh, it has, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for all the support for Absurdity. Um, keep praying. And if you want to subscribe to Absurdity, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcatching app. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. That really helps us out. 
Um, and if you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email me, ryan180becker at gmail.com, or you can tweet me at ryan180becker, or you can tweet at Tony. At Tony underscore Nobly, A-N-O-B-I-L-E, or just look up the new Dr. Joe. There you go. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.